It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, I just want to recognize that uh, what Cherry did to start there was not easy. That was really cool, a three-song mashup uh, that includes All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, which is one of my favorites. It's just a fantastic song. So uh, thank you, Cherry. That was really well done. Yay. <laughs> and all of you who had to learn it is, you know, Cherry gets spoken to in the middle of the night before a Sunday morning and comes in, uh, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning and says, here's what we're going to do, and everybody has to chase. So uh, it's not easy. So good job, worship team. That's fantastic uh, that you're able to do that. Uh, so very thankful to be here again this morning, and we'll be continuing again our study in the book of Romans this morning uh, in a message that I'm calling Present Suffering, uh, Future Glory. So uh, let's uh, go to the, the Lord and uh, ask for help before we begin today. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for this entire Romans chapter 8, which has been such an amazing blessing to me, and I hope to the congregation, Lord, I pray that we will have ears to hear today. Uh, Lord, we do want to take a moment to lift up Mary Quick, who's in the hospital, and uh, we just pray for her healing, Lord, pray that she'll get home this week. Lord, we uh, continue to lift up the shepherds who are recovering from coronavirus, and Diana Clausen, who's at home, and uh, struggling with cancer, Lord, and, and so uh, if any message would be relevant to the sick in our body, uh, today would be that message, uh, because we know that even though we suffer presently, our eternity is secure, and the glory that awaits us is going to be spectacular. So Lord, uh, come help us to understand what you have for us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, anyone who has tried to accomplish something great knows that uh, there is a high price tag attached to such a thing. Uh, climbing Mount Everest, for example. Uh, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine doing what it takes. You have to be in incredible physical shape to do that. Uh, you have to be willing to withstand extreme cold, lack of oxygen, uh, physical pain, uh, and you have to, of course, Everest is not your first rodeo. You will have climbed many mountains before that to get to Everest. So uh, it takes two months to get from base camp uh, to the peak of Mount Everest, and many people have died uh, trying to do that. Uh, so it must be quite exhilarating to get to the top. Uh, marathoners, uh, I know that feeling. Uh, <laughs> They spend a lot of time alone by themselves suffering in agony mile after mile because of the glory of crossing that finish line and what that feels like. Uh, Olympians train their entire lives. They give up uh, what many of us would consider a normal childhood. They leave their homes. They uh, go uh, train under some Olympic coach for hours and hours and hours, uh, all for the uh, chance to represent their country and maybe win gold. And it's not just athletes either. Uh, valedictorians spend tons of time with their noses in the books instead of going out and having a good time with their friends and missing out on a lot that their teenage years have to offer so that they can achieve the perfect grades necessary to be valedictorian. And expectant mothers uh, sure know of the pain of childbirth and, and what that is going to be like and the, the glory that awaits, which is why uh, they achieve or they go through the great pain of childbirth to uh, receive the glory of having a child. And what each of these uh, has in common is that they're all willing to endure extreme present suffering uh, for the hope, for the promise of future glory. 
Each of them considered and counted the cost and decided, yes, uh, it's worth it uh, to climb Everest Peak, to finish a marathon, to be an Olympian, to become valedictorian, to have a baby. Yes, it's worth the suffering for the glory that awaits. Well, of those five things that I mentioned, the only one that I've done is uh, I have run a marathon, and uh, I can tell you that the only thing that keeps you going uh, at mile 20, uh, aside from the uh, hope of future cheeseburgers, is the hope of future glory that you'll be able to say for the rest of your life that you have completed the marathon. And this is true of our Christian walk as well. Our Christian walk is not easy, and there is a lot of suffering on the way, but the glory that we will receive is so much greater than the present suffering that we're able to keep going because we know uh, the glory that awaits. And so we continue, we press on to that goal of glory. Now, of course, suffering comes in many forms. We don't have to be an athlete or a student or an expectant mother to suffer. Uh, we don't necessarily seek out suffering like athletes and expectant mothers and valedictorians do. It tends to find us. Uh, suffering is just part of the Christian walk. You know, from the bottom of Mount Everest, you can look up and you can see the peak up there, but you can't see every hurdle that you're going to encounter along the way that stands between you and the peak. Uh, you have to deal with each one as you come to it. And the Christian walk is the same. Uh, we don't know what awaits us tomorrow. There's going to be a hurdle tomorrow or next week or next month. Sooner or later, there's going to be some difficult hurdle. But the difference is uh, we're only told about the glory that awaits us in heaven. Uh, whereas the climbers of Everest can see the peak in the beginning, we have like this vague idea of what this glory is going to be like. Uh, but we really can't imagine it. We can't see it like we can see the peak of Everest. But God promised that when it is revealed to us, it's going to be more spectacular than we could possibly imagine. Words fail us when we try uh, to put the glory of God uh, and what awaits us into words. But we do know that the glory is worth the suffering. And so uh, if you're not suffering now, you either just have suffered or probably there's some suffering on our near horizon. Uh, and I just want you to know that I'm here to encourage you with that this morning. Actually, this is not a discouraging message about the inevitability of suffering. It's actually a message about the, the, the hope that we have. It, it's a message of encouragement about the glory that awaits us so that no matter what we face today, the hope and triumph that awaits us is so much greater. Uh, the, the suffering just pales in comparison to the glory that is going to be ours. So just think today, uh, is life hard for you in any way? Are you sick? Are you hurting? Uh, are you sick to death of COVID? Uh, have you had enough uh, political rantings and we still have two months to go? Uh, there is a lot of suffering and a lot that we're still going to have to endure in the years that we have left. And so uh, what we need to understand is that uh, suffering is for a time and yet the glory that awaits us is for all time. It's for eternity. And it's so much better than anything we happen to be suffering today. So first, let's try to put suffering in its proper perspective. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you remember last week, we were reminded that, uh, that 
our inheritance is not contingent. It is not contingent on suffering. We are fellow heirs with Christ since we suffer with him. It's a fact. We do suffer with him. And so since we suffer with him, we know that we will also be glorified with him. In fact, one of the assurances that we have that we are saved is that we do suffer with Christ. And Paul's mention of suffering at the end of chapter, or at verse 17, uh, kind of uh, as we enter into chapter, or verse 18, there's a bit of a change of direction that goes on here. And so uh, Paul kind of moves from the present life in the, in the spirit, in the present, uh, to future glory. And so this is how uh, a lot of commentators outline uh, Romans chapter 8. Life in the spirit, verses 1 through 17. And then the glory to come, verses 18 to 30. And that's the part that we'll be embarking on this week and we'll be in for, for several weeks. And then the believer's security in verses 31 through 39. So in this section that we're in, Paul speaks less of the present assurances of salvation through life in the Spirit and more of the future glory uh, that is promised to us. Uh, but Paul connects these two, life in the Spirit, with the glory to come. Uh, by talking about, by using this word for in the beginning of verse 18. The word for uh, connects verses 1 through 17 with verses 18 through 30. So yes, we suffer, uh, but even though we do suffer, because we have the Spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and He helps us with our suffering, and He shows us that they are nothing compared to our future glory. And so that's the connection between these two sections. So let's just say a couple things about verse 18. Uh, and the first thing is this. Uh, Christians suffer, right? Not a newsflash. We all suffer. We know that there is suffering in the Christian life. Uh, if I asked you to raise your hand if you have never experienced suffering, uh, this is what I'd be looking at. Not one single one of you would raise their hands, right? We've all suffered something in the Christian life. And uh, this is what's so great about Paul, what's so authentic about Paul, is that he never presents Christianity as some kind of fairy tale where as soon as we accept the Lord, our lives are, are perfect and, and there's never any suffering and everybody lives happily ever after. That's not reality. That's not the Christian life. And we know that from our own experience, that the Christian life still remains hard. There is still suffering. So uh, Paul said so in verse 17, talked about suffering as a reality, and here in 18 he talks about it uh, just as a matter of fact. Yes, there are sufferings, but uh, they're not forever. So he never hides the fact of suffering. In fact, he highlights the idea of Christian suffering and then uh, tells us about Christian suffering and how to compare it to the glory that is to come. So we know uh, that everyone is subject to the pain and the suffering of this life, right? Anybody can get cancer or COVID or get hit by a car or lose a child. Uh, everyone experiences the pain of the aging process, body parts not working or body parts hurting, uh, aches and pains in the morning. We all have these things uh, as we get older. But one of the unfortunate teachings in many of our churches uh, these days is that after we become Christians, our, our suffering ends. Uh, our lives are all of a sudden peaches and cream, and, and that's just not our experience, right? We've all been Christians long enough to know that that isn't true. Uh, but this is the prosperity gospel crowd, and, and they leave you with the impression uh, that once you accept Christ, everything is going to be rosy, and that Christianity is the cure to all that ails you. 
Now, to be sure, Christianity is the cure to all that ails you uh, from an eternal perspective. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins, and when we receive him as our Savior, our eternity is secure. So in that sense, uh, yes, Christianity is the cure to all that ails us, but that doesn't mean that Christianity is the cure to all that ails us in our earthly circumstances. Uh, we understand that Christians, too, get cancer and COVID and get hit by cars and lose children, but Christians may also suffer additional pain just because we're Christians. We're watching now the world becoming increasingly hostile daily uh, to Christianity. We see it on the news every day. And so we're persecuted now if we stand for the truth in a world that doesn't believe in truth. And just like in Joshua's day, everyone does what is right before their own eyes. So the same thing is happening today. And so what will we do in response to the world that is so hostile to us? Well, if we speak biblical truth, we put ourselves at risk of persecution, hostility from the world. Uh, John the Baptist was killed because he said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And John spoke truth, and it cost him his life, even though he was a forerunner of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, even the cousin of Jesus Christ. Not even that protected him from the suffering that happens in the world. And so when we stand for the things that are important to God, we may lose our jobs, we may lose our friends, we may lose our property, we may even lose our lives in this climate for speaking the name of Jesus Christ, for insisting on biblical truth, for condemning the immorality that we see in the world. All of these things can happen to Christians. And that's in America. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Think of what's happening around the world with our Christian missionaries and the trouble that they are in. Every day, the persecution the, the, that, that they may be tortured or killed that day, uh, and yet they persevere. And so there are so much external uh, pressure on Christians that the rest of the world doesn't have to deal with. And aside from the external pressures, we have the internal struggle of sin, that, that, that the sin nature that still dwells within us. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the good things that I want to do, these I don't do, and the, the evil that I don't want to do, this is what I do. And so even uh, a Christian has these struggles. They go on even after we are saved. And uh, so uh, we, we continue in this battle. And God doesn't always protect us from the consequences of the sins uh, that we have in our lives. Uh, there is always grace. There's always forgiveness for the sins that we commit. But sometimes the consequences are difficult to bear because we're not always saved from those things. And so we're not immune from the persecution of the world that comes from outside within, and we're also not persecuted from our own sin nature, which still dwells within us and that we have to battle every day. And so when these prosperity gospels insist that people want us to have our best lives now, uh, they are misleading their flocks. Uh, they're not uh, preparing them for the real world where suffering is a reality, even for the Christian, and they give folks, the false expectation that, that God will prevent them from suffering if they just have enough faith. And then when suffering happens, these poor sheep leave the flock because the God that they were taught about turns out to be a promise breaker. But God is not a promise breaker. Jesus made it perfectly clear that we will suffer. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And so suffering is a reality for Christians. Uh, not to be prepared for suffering is pure foolishness. So let's not minimize suffering. 
And let's not pretend it doesn't exist, but at the same time, let's not make more of it than it is because the present suffering is not comparable to the glory that is to be revealed to us. This very word suffering makes us cringe almost, right? It's the very antithesis of joy and happiness and all the good things that we want to experience in life. Who wants to suffer? Nobody wants to suffer. But suffering and glory go hand in hand. It's like hand in glove with glory and suffering. It's like you can't have the one without the other. When Satan came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, what was he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to, to have the glory but skip the suffering. And Jesus knew that there is no glory without suffering. He knew that the only way to achieve his purposes and God's purposes was to go to the cross, to suffer, and then enter into his glory. And a humiliating and excruciating death was necessary for him uh, to be able to save us and to glorify God. So he first suffered and then entered glory. And so why would we think that it would be any different for us? We suffer and then we enter into glory. But if we think about suffering uh, like uh, a candle uh, compared to the sun, then we'll begin to get an idea of the difference. Like They're comparable in a way, right? A candle uh, and the sun both produce light and they both produce heat. So in some way they're comparable, but when you compare them to each other, the comparison becomes ludicrous, right? Because you can't compare the amount of light and heat that a candle produces compared to the sun. And so it is with suffering and glory. Uh, Paul compared them to show just how incomparable they really are. And so he said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, you remember 2 Corinthians is the same letter in chapter 11 where Paul wrote about uh, being beaten uh, 40 times less one, five times he uh, went that uh, under, underwent that uh, beating, uh, shipwrecked, uh, stranded on the water, uh, all these things that happened to Paul. He was no stranger to suffering, and yet he's able to call these sufferings light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's beyond all comparison. So whatever affliction we are dealing with now, uh, it is so inconsequential compared to the glory that we will have when we see the Lord face to face that there's just no comparison. Suffering is uh, to glory as the candle is to the sun. And so there's also uh, this huge disparity, not only between the amount of suffering, but the length of suffering and the, and the length of this eternal glory that will be revealed to us. Whatever we experience on earth, whatever suffering there is, it can only last as long as the years that we have, right? Uh, it's limited to that. And most of us are on the back stretch of our lives, at least, and maybe some of us are even in the home stretch of our lives. Maybe we have 10, 20, uh, 30 years to go. Uh, and so our suffering is only limited to the number of days that we have left. And if we suffer every day from today until the day that we die, well, what is that compared to eternity? Uh, countless days, years, there's no time. It just lasts forever and ever and ever. How spectacular is that to think about? So eternal life is just infinite joy with Jesus. And, and so it's like a candle compared to the sun when we think about our sufferings compared to the glory. And that's why Paul said, uh, I consider uh, in verse 18, which is to say, I count as fact. It is a fact that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be considered to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
So let's just think for a second about this glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, and, and what we learned is that it's really hard to even put into words what this glory will be like. Uh, but what we do know is that this glory already exists. It's just, it's not visible to us. It's not apparent to us yet. It has not been revealed to us. So uh, God is not going to create new glory for us, but he's going to reveal glory that already exists. So, for example, if you are going to climb Mount Everest, there will be times where uh, the, the peak is covered in clouds and you can't see it, or uh, it's, it's uh, hidden by the fact that there's another mountain peak in front of it. But the fact that the climbers know that it's there, that's what keeps them going. They know that if they keep going, they will reach that peak. And in the same way, uh, we, even though we can't know what's behind the clouds, so to speak, exactly, uh, we do know that it's going to be spectacular. And so that's what keeps us going on. And so uh, we just can't really imagine all these glories that we will be revealed to us. We talked about a couple last week. We're going to see God. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see heaven. Uh, and how amazing is that going to be in all its glory? And uh, I pray that God will allow us to see the entire visible and invisible universe. Won't that be something? And to behold the glory of God a day after day, uh, how incredible will that be? So uh, the glory that is to be re revealed to us. Uh, some of your translations, uh, maybe uh, if you carry the NIV, uh, that says the glory that will be revealed in us. And so if that's the right translation, well, maybe that means uh, the revelation of our new glorified bodies. Or maybe it means that uh, because we will be without sin, we will be able to manifest God, uh, reflect his glory in some new way because we're no, no longer burdened by sin. But whatever it means, whether it's to us or in us, uh, when I think about what that is and, and all that it will include, well, it is just mind-boggling, especially when you consider how long it will last. It lasts forever, and so no matter what, uh, when we think about it in those uh, terms, our present sufferings do seem light and momentary when compared to eternity. They're just not worthy uh, of comparison to the glory that awaits so let's just insert a point of application here before we move on, and that is to focus on our eternity rather than today. We know that some people suffer more than others. Uh, our response to suffering says a lot about our faith. Uh, we all know people who seem to have more than their fair share, and like Job, uh, so many things have happened to them. Uh, sometimes God seems to allow a tremendous amount of pain, suffering, loss uh, in one person's life compared to another. But those who can suffer with their eyes on heaven, well, what a witness that is to be able to look up and say, no matter what happens here, I know what awaits me there. Uh, people who are uh, facing death uh, who are in hospital beds and perhaps dying and yet still praising the Lord are such an incredible witness to us. I remember being in a seminary uh, and I went to a chapel service one day and uh, we had a professor by the name of Steve Strauss uh, who was dying of cancer. Uh, and he came in in his wheelchair uh, and his body was just decimated by the cancer. He didn't have very long left. Uh, and when the worship team uh, started to play, well, Steve managed to lift himself up out of that wheelchair and stand and, and raise his hands and praise the Lord. His clothes were falling off of him. He couldn't have weighed 120 pounds, uh, but it was an incredible witness. He was teaching us how to worship God through suffering, and he was even teaching us how to glorify God through our deaths. And it was an amazing thing to see. 
So whatever our current situation is, whatever cross it is that we are called to carry, it is so insignificant compared to the glory that awaits us. And if we personally have that attitude, it'll not only be better for ourselves that we're looking forward instead of looking to the present, uh, we will also be a great witness to other people who uh, will experience the pain and suffering of life and death as well. So if we're always looking forward, always thinking about Jesus in heaven, uh, and thinking about the glory that awaits, these new and glorified bodies that we're going to have, uh, then we will understand that, that this light and momentary affliction uh, really is not that much, and we can get through it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want us to keep suffering in its proper perspective. We're all going to do it, uh, so let's do it well. Let's do it as a witness to others. So uh, suffering... Uh, in its proper perspective. And second, let's see that creation's destiny is linked to ours, Romans 8, 19 to 21. Uh, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, verse 19, creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Again, the verse begins with the word for. It's a connective word. It's a word that promises more explanation or reason for what Paul has said previously. And Paul explained that our expectation of future glory and in verse 18 is bound up together with the creation's expectation of future glory here in verse 19. So we see that they are inseparable. And Paul personifies creation as though it can wait like we can wait. And by that, he created a parallel between creation on the one hand and us on the other hand. Uh, and that kind of language is familiar to us if we read the Old Testament, especially the Psalms. Just a couple of examples. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together with joy. Uh, Psalm 98.8. Psalm 96, 12, let the field exult and all that is in it, then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. So it's just a rhetorical device that Paul uses to uh, make creation uh, in a way like us so that we're both waiting for uh, this glory that will come. So when Paul talks about creation, he's talking about all of the created earth and its creatures except for mankind. We see that there's a difference God's sons are, are separate and distinct because creation is waiting for the revealing of God's sons. And so this waiting eagerly uh, is an interesting word in the original Greek because it means like standing on your tiptoes, craning your neck to see over a crowd because you don't want to miss uh, the thing that is coming. Uh, Molly and I were in Paris in 1997, and uh, we happened to hear that the Pope was in town, and he was going to be uh, driving by uh, the street that we happened to be on. So we kind of made our way to, uh, through the crowds and uh, kind of sat on the curb there and waited for him to cruise by in his bulletproof uh, Pope mobile. We thought that was going to be a cool thing uh, to do. So we stood there, and we waited with the crowd. And uh, we, we had pretty good seats. We were able to, he took a lot longer than we actually <laughs> expected. I don't know that we would have waited as long as we did if we knew how long it was going to be. Uh, but we wanted to see. Uh, we have never seen the Pope in person, and uh, you don't have to email me. I understand about the Pope. He's not God, but you know, if you've ever seen, uh, if, you're, if you're looking to see a rock star or a famous baseball player or whatever, uh, you know, you'll wait a little while to see that. So it was pretty cool. Uh, so uh, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we waited, and uh, it wasn't much. He sped 
sped by in his popemobile at probably 45 miles an hour, just kind of waving as he went by. But it was worth seeing, and the crowd was there, you know, standing on tiptoes, waiting, trying to put their cameras up, trying to get a good look. Uh, that's what it's like for creation. Creation is longing with craning neck uh, to see this revelation of the sons of God. Now, these sons of God, who are they? We, we understand that they're Christians. They're, they're us. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are saved. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we already know who we are, right? We, we've been going through these tests or assurances in, in Romans chapter 8 uh, that we know uh, who we are. We have the Holy Spirit. We're being led by him. We're, we're putting to death sin in our lives. We're suffering with him. All these things are true of the believer. So we know who we are, and obviously God knows who we are, right? He knows who his children are, uh, but we look just like everyone else physically. Uh, you can't tell a Christian from a non-Christian by appearance, but one day we'll be able to know when God reveals who his sons are, uh, and God is going to do that when Christ returns. And so uh, what will happen is that uh, God is going to uh, pour his glory, uh, give glory to uh, the sons of God, and the rest will receive no glory. They'll only receive eternal separation from him. So we have creation waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. But in the meantime, God has subjected creation to futility because of Adam's sin. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so this is the third verse in a row that Paul starts with the word for. Uh, explanation is coming. Reasons are coming. Why is the creation waiting for the revelation of the sons of God? Because when that happens, creation will be redeemed. Well, why does creation need to be redeemed? Because it was subjected to futility because of Adam's sin. So creation is not to blame for the state that it is currently in. Adam is to blame. And, and all of us who uh, continue sinning, the sin entered into the world with Adam. Uh, and, and so creation is in a state of bondage and decay because of sin. And so when Adam disobeyed God and when he ate the fruit, God pronounced curses on him, uh, on the woman, on Satan, and on the earth itself. There was a time that creation was perfect, but that was marred by Adam's sin. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Accursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." So right now, a creation exists in this state of futility. Futility is the same word that Solomon used uh, in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Uh, it means meaningless, hopeless, uh, empty, and in the case of the earth, subject to decay. The earth is not as God created it to be or intended it to be, just as we are not. But that's not the end of the story. God subjected the earth to futility, but he subjected it in hope. Now, uh, there are a lot of commentators who say that uh, the one who subjected creation to futility is either Adam or it's Satan. But we see that that can't be the case because neither Adam nor Satan could or would subject the universe to futility in hope. So it has to be God who subjected the earth to this futility. And so creation looks forward to the revelation of God because it will be redeemed with us. 
And in hope is the turning point that Paul uses here to speak of creation's liberation from the bondage that is coming. Creation will be liberated from its bondage, verse 21, that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So no wonder creation is craning its neck, standing on its tiptoes, waiting for the sons of man to be revealed. Just look how creation itself is going to benefit. It's going to be set free from this slavery to corruption. Other translations say it will be set free from bondage to decay or bondage and decay. And so just as we are looking forward to bodies that won't age or decay or die, so the earth looks forward to this time when it too will have freedom from this process. So the earth is going to be freed from this one thing, corruption and decay, and it's going to be uh, uh, freed into something else, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so creation is going to be redeemed. Uh, your house plants will no longer die. They will thrive. They're going to be amazing. Uh, no one will pollute the river of life. No one will uh, leave garbage on the streets of gold. Uh, it's going to be an amazing thing to be in heaven someday. Uh, in many of ways, it'll be like the, a return to the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect. And all of this will happen after the Lord returns. So hear the promises of God. Chapter 2 of Peter, verse 313. But according to his new promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. Revelation 22.3, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So is it any wonder that creation longs for the day when the sons of God will be revealed? Just like we are all longing for the day when the Lord comes again, creation will be redeemed just as we are when we all assemble together before God. Creation is just as eager for it as we are. And so I hope that you're able to see that the, the, the sufferings, the things that we have to endure uh, in this world, uh, they are just so incomparable to the glory that is to come for us. Uh, it's going to seem so long ago and so far away when we enter into glory with Jesus in heaven. So let's close thinking about a few applications. I want us to see that our only hope in the present is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ answers the problem of sin. Because we are sinners, he came and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be redeemed. And so anyone who has received Jesus Christ, all this applies to that person. Uh, they will receive this glory because God has sealed us by the Holy Spirit. But watching the news these days can be pretty depressing, can it? A chaos in our cities, a COVID around the world, a caustic relationship between the political parties. And we long for the return of the Lord uh, when all of this will end. But let's remember, uh, we do want a vaccine for coronavirus, but our hope is not in a vaccine for the coronavirus. And our hope is not in the new president or the same president of the United States, whoever happens to be elected. Our hope is not in the president. Uh, our hope is not in anything in the, other than the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is how it is today because of sin. 
sin is a big problem. Sin is the problem, isn't it? And so the only answer to the sin problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our calling to make him known to an unbelieving world. Uh, We, brothers and sisters, we have certain hope, and we need to project this hope. We need to show this hope to the world that needs to hear it. The Lord is coming again, so let's announce it. Let's announce it so the world will see the hope that we have and show them the hope that we have, because for the most part, the world has no hope. So our only hope in the present is Jesus Christ, and life in the Spirit gives certainty for the future. Believers have the Holy Spirit. We are led by him. We've been adopted into God's family. We are suffering with him because we identify with Christ. And these things are true of all believers. And because they are, we have the certain assurance of this glory that is to come. We do have to wait for it. It's either going to happen when we die or when Jesus comes again, uh, but it's going to happen. And we'd all like it to happen before we have to go through the process of dying. But if that's not the Lord's will, if he tarries, if we have to die, even if we have to die painful deaths, well, we understand that God is with us and that once we've been adopted into God's family, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And we're going to read all about that in verses 31 through 39. And I'm looking forward to to those. Uh, So because of God's promises, we have nothing to fear. Uh, rest secure in the knowledge that even though our present circumstances seem unsettled, our eternity is settled. Can you imagine the exhilaration of standing on top of Mount Everest? Well, heaven is going to be better. And do you remember uh, holding your newborn child for the first time? Well, heaven is going to be better. Heaven is better than anything we could ever imagine. And it's going to be ours because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't make more of our suffering than it is. Let's put it in its proper perspective. Let's understand that it's only for a time. It's incomparable to the glory that we have. And it's the promise that we need to help us through these dark times. Amen? Lord God, we thank you for this. Lord, that we're able to put a suffering, a reality of the Christian life into its proper perspective. Lord, help us always to hold suffering where it belongs. It is a fact of life, but it is not the story of life, Lord, and it's not the end, Lord. There is something far greater that awaits us because of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be able to model Uh, how Paul had this amazing attitude of of, uh, just always looking forward, even in the face of suffering. Lord, if we can do that, we will be so attractive to a world that needs to hear the good news.